Hello? Oh, my goodness, it works. <laughs> Okay, outnumbered, okay. Jason made an observation at lunch. He was looking around and he goes, okay, aside from me, there aren't many males. And I, then we started counting. I'm like, actually, there's like six, you know, so. So a shout out to all you guys out there. Yeah, thanks for being here. <laughs> so now he's sitting up here going, what is that? Outnumbered, outnumbered, yeah. <laughs> all right, wonderful. Okay, we'll get started on Q&A, and we have got like three options here for you. Okay, first one. How can you stand firm on the truth with a transgender person without isolating them or ruining ministry opportunities with them? Oh, I love it that Jason just handed you the mic. Awesome, Kathy Grace. You move to the next state. <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, well, it depends on your level of relationship with them. What did it say in there? How can you stand firm on the truth with a transgender person without isolating them or ruining ministry opportunities with them? So I'm going to assume there's some level of relationship there. So if they're like, your friend name is Jared. So if they're like Jared, you're going to have to find those places to speak truth. And usually you can do that by asking questions. You know? Are you on? I am. Anyways, um, so if you if it's a friend, you have to have that conversation with them, saying, hey, I'm not comfortable with what you're doing. That's not what I believe. You know that's not what I believe. Or if they know, you know, you can tell them that's not what I believe. However, I can't affirm that lie. I, I just, I can't. It's a family member. That's a whole other thing. And if it's somebody you just met, you know, or you work with them, that's a whole different level. You have to meet them where they're at. Okay, so if, if it looks like a Jack and, you, and they're saying, I identify as Jill, and you don't have that level of relationship, then they're Jill. Until you get to that place where they, you have earned their trust and you can begin to speak in it. But we, the thing is, is they, we can't give them the truth until they know that they're loved by us, right? They, we, we just can't cram down the truth to them, especially if you're like, I know you're Jill. I don't know why. Or I know you're Jack. Why are you trying to be Jill? And they don't know me because I come across as a harsh Christian. Now, if I can meet them where they're at, that's a whole different thing. But if it was my friend, if Jason wanted to transition, I'd be like, we, we need to talk, <laughs> like yesterday. <laughs> Does that help? Does that answer your question? Is there another? Okay. All right. Okay, next question. I hope I, I'm saying this right. How does Kleinfelter syndrome, when someone is born with XXY chromosomes, fit into a biblical understanding of gender? So I actually know somebody who has that. Uh, he's in a ministry. Yeah, you know, uh, what's his name? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he he struggled with that for a long time, but that actually is very rare, mm -hmm. very rare. It's like less than 0.01 percent or something like that. Mm -hmm. And um, he struggled to figure out who he was, and um, but yet he had these male tendencies. 
but yet he wondered if he was female because kind of the lack of masculine that was behind that. But he, with the right affirmation and those that came alongside of him, remember I said it took a village, he had people that came around him to help him understand who he was as a man. I would say that there's actually, I guess, four different denotations that one can have, whether it's XXY. So all of those small little modifications, what doctors have always found that regardless, there still is, if there is a Y that's present, they are male. If there is an X, if it's just XX plus something else, or I think there's my maybe even three X's or some type of denotation. What they said is regardless, biologists and science scientists still know if they are biologically male or biological female, even with intersex, because sometimes people will say, well, what about those who are intersexed? Number one, most of the intersexed individuals are not the ones that are pushing this whole transgender narrative. That's number one. Number two, most of them are like, I just want to be left alone. Like, I'm not even part of that. But even with an individual that is intersexed, there still is a primary or a more prominent sex where they do know if they are male or female. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Next question. Besides power, what is the end game for critical theorists? If their paradigm is based on the oppressed, oppressor model, what does their utopian ideal look like? Their end goal is to overthrow everything. Their utopian is not social justice. It would probably be them being in power, and they want every single group that is considered to be oppressed. They, do, they want it to be, for example, they don't want a heteronormative family. They do not want Christian values or ideals. They do not want pro-life. I mean, they, they want Roe v. Wade to stay the way it is. So all of those things that do reflect Judeo-Christian values, they want all of that to be overturned. But here's what I do find to be problematic with CRT. When we think of Christianity, scripture tells us a biblical justice model includes forgiveness, includes confession of sin, CRT is not interested in that. So their end goal is not unity. It is to overthrow that system and to liberate all of these so-called oppressed groups. Okay. For Kathy Grace. <laughs> She's prophetic. <laughs> when you are living as a man and involved in ministry, do you feel like you were spiritually maturing and growing during that time? Great question. I do. And the reason being is because I was pressing into the Lord. And I think if I hadn't have been pressing into the Lord, when that question was asked, who are you really, I don't think I would have been able to tell the truth the second time. Mm. Because I was so mm. in love with the Lord, right? I think part of it, too, when I was asked that question, the relationship that I longed for with the Lord, I realized it wasn't possible because living as a man was in the way. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Good deal. Thank you. Um, for Jason, you mentioned that same-sex attraction can come from relational issues, not sexual issues. 
What does that look like? Yeah, so, and Kathy Grace highlighted this as well in her story, that at its core, as I said, homosexuality is a relational issue. When a boy is growing in his masculinity, he must bond with the same first before an awakening for the opposite, as I mentioned. If that doesn't happen, there will be a void and a hunger for that. And when you mix that with sexuality, you mix that with, with uh, uh, the secondary sex characteristics and then introduction of, of, of orgasm and those powerful chemicals linked with a relational need, it forms something within. Cultivated by culture and lies and deception and all that stuff, it forms the homosexual person. So in my opinion, there's really no such thing as a homosexual person. It's simply someone growing and delayed in their ability to connect with the same, resolve that so that they can move forward. And then the same thing in reverse for, for women that are feeling unsafe, as she had mentioned, and seeking to fulfill that need. So at its core to the question, those relational wounds and needs, known and unknown, need to be contended with in order for someone to grow in their masculinity and feminine identity. That's how God designed it, and that's how we as the church walk people through a discipleship process to make it happen. Mm -hmm. All right. Kathy Grace said that trauma can be perceived, not based in reality. Is it really trauma if it wasn't real? Isn't that another my truth, your truth, deception? That's not fair. I haven't had that question before. <laughs> <laughs> then give the microphone to Jason. <laughs> can you read that again, please? Absolutely. Kathy Grace said that trauma can be perceived, not based in reality. Is it really trauma if it wasn't real? Isn't that another my truth, your truth deception? No. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Actually, can I, can I jump in just a bit? Because we Please. discussed that just a tiny bit at lunch, Please. and I appreciated the way that you presented the issue of trauma because I feel like you can also look at things as far as, um, you know, I mean, if a parent is verbally abusive, um, if there is... Um, favoritism maybe of one child or another, those can be traumatic. And as small children, there can be a lack of, I mean, you just don't understand. All you know is, goodness, I'm being yelled at. I'm being, I'm devalued. Um, it feels abandoning. Um, there can be harsh punishment. Those things like that can create the trauma. And then I think what I perceived your, per, you know, the perception to be is then the child may resolve in their own mind of, oh, I'm not worth quite as much as this sibling, or I am a bother, or a trouble, or something like that. Anyway, that's... Yeah, I was just going to highlight that aspect, yes. that we should be very careful not to impose what we think is traumatic to someone on them. So we have internal mechanisms and resources, and we're all going to function differently. Something tremendously difficult and painful can happen to one person, and they do well. Somehow th they, they have these external resources, internal resources, the Lord to work through things, and they do well. Meanwhile, someone else experiences a perception about something that to someone else said, what's your problem with that? My dad, in very brief, one day I was walking with him to church as a minister, and we were having the first probably heart-to-heart -heart conversation I had in years. We got home, and my mom said, how was the walk? And I said, it was great. My d dad and I just talked man to man. I was, like, all proud of that moment. And my dad looked down, and I love my dad. He looked down, and he said, no, we didn't. 
Now, what he said years later, I'm thinking, oh, he thought man to man, meaning we had a sex conversation or we had a some kind of what men do conversation. I just had a heart to heart with him. It crushed me. Hmm. It was traumatic. I very much remembered it. And I remember my heart going, I'm not going to talk to you or share that again. I remember that very clearly at like nine years old or something. So, th so a trauma can look very different and it can impact people. And we need to allow people to experience what happened in their heart and mind and let, okay. let us be kind of advocates or agents to help them resolve whatever trauma that looks like. So just to dovetail onto that is that rejection is rejection, whether it's real or perceived. It can have the same amount of impact and pain behind it as if it was just perceived, even though you didn't mean it. Also, it depends on the temperament of the child. Like Jason was saying, you know, some kids are like, Poof, let it roll off my back, you know, and other kids are like, oh, that's crushing to me. You know, I have siblings who lived in the same house as I did, grew up under the same dysfunction as I did, and they didn't struggle with their gender. Mm -hmm. So there's something different about our temperaments that was able to look at that and go, okay, well, that's the way it is. And maybe they were able to look at it and go, my dad's a jerk, and I didn't. I was looking at, you're defining me as a woman. Mm -hmm. Wow, thank you. Okay, here's a, here's a tough one, guys. What are your thoughts on the increase in children being conceived via surrogate for same-sex marriages to create their families? Part of me thought, oh, rats, you should have come last year when Katie Faust was here <laughs> and spoke on that issue. Real briefly. <laughs> Real briefly. I, I'm going to speak it from one angle. I imagine yeah, you might yeah. from a different one is that I believe those who are struggling with relational brokenness are seeking to resolve it way into life, and so you get a homosexual couple, two men, two women, I think there's, a, there's an innate desire for value and worth to feel um, like I matter, and so by adopting children, there's a way to fill that void, mm -hmm. and so although we fully may disagree with, with that idea, if we step back and recognize the heart behind it, not the acceptance of the act, but the heart behind it, we recognize these two men or these two women are looking for something to, to fulfill a deep need. I'm always coming back to the relational wounds, the needs, the heart, the transformational process, and how we as Christians need to approach it rather than the legal issues or how it will wound the kid, which it will, two men, two women. Obviously, as, as it was pointed out, we need both. But we can, we can come in and minister to the heart of the person that's, that's looking for an avenue to, to fulfill these deep needs and desires. Mm -hmm. Can you read the first part of that again, please? Absolutely. As soon as I find it, I will. <laughs> How do you feel about that? Surrogacy. What are your thoughts on the increase in children being conceived via surrogate for same-sex marriages to create their families? I, I think I agree with everything that you said. I think also, though, in addition to that, I would personally think how many times have you heard people, like even as children, they will say, you know, when I grow up, I, I, they really want to be a mom or they really want to be a dad. I think mm -hmm. some of that is just innate because God did design us to procreate and be co-creators with him. The problem is, is how we go about doing that. Are we resorting to an artificial insemination or more specifically, are we trying to have children because it's what I want rather than because it's God's intended design. Mm -hmm. 
Now, the problem with that is we know two men cannot, so therefore they're having to resort to that because it's what they want. The reason that the government or the state has always been or have a vested interest in marriages is because marriages are the building blocks of society. They always have been. And children come, generally speaking, from families. In this context, though, it really is negatively, it is going to negatively impact, as you just said, as I said earlier as well, because children do best with a biological mother and father. We also have to remember there have been decades of research that reflects what happens when a father is missing from a home. So what we are creating is an intentional motherless home or an, an intentional fatherless home. And two dads do not equal a mom, and two mothers do not equal a dad. So I think it is unfortunate. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I would also recommend to you all Katie Faust's website, Them Before Us. She deals pretty extensively um, with that issue. And she has a book called Them Before Us. But um, there are a lot of resources there as well. Okay, next question. What would be a good way to respond to someone who sides with abortion, but only when the baby appears to have birth defects or terminal at birth? That would be me. <laughs> that would be me, the mother of a child with Down syndrome. <laughs> um, and interestingly enough, <laughs> uh, there's another mom of a child with Down syndrome who, um, whose daughter ministered to me when I learned that my baby had Down syndrome. Um, that's here that we've reconnected again after 20 years. <laughs> um, and so... <coughs> A good way to respond to someone who sides with abortion, but only when the baby appears to have birth defects. It, it's part of it. I look at that very differently than I would have 20 years ago because my daughter is 21. And um, what is a defect, I guess, is, is where I would start. Um, and, and much like Terry Ann's daughter said to me 21 years ago, actually 22 years ago, um, as I was terrified at the thought of having a child with Down syndrome is, is and she was a sibling <laughs> and her little, her little brother had Down syndrome. She was like, huh, what? No, no, we, we do this, we do that. Obviously, there was a very strong sibling connection there and it was just like, he is who he is. Um, I have two children, just like anybody else with two children. They have different strengths, they have different weaknesses, but they're both delightful. Um, and God has made them as he intended to make them. And there are things that that young lady has brought to our family that I just can't even imagine what our family would be like without her. Um, and so my first question would be, what is a defect um, or terminal at birth? You know, I mean, God's plan is God's plan. And to press into that, whatever that may be, I have sat with friends who knew that they were going to lose their baby immediately on delivery and sat with them as the baby died in her arms. Um, and while, yes, hard, 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 very grievous, I also chose abortion as a teenager. And um, her grief, yes, she grieved the loss of her children, but that child did not die at her own hands. My children died at my own hands very different kind of grief when I 
I willingly stepped into a sinful choice to take the life of my child as opposed to submitting and surrendering myself to the will of God. I will just say one other thing in addition to that. I would challenge us to consider again, what does it mean to bear the image of God? Do we believe that only those who are fully able-bodied reflect his image? Is there beauty even in the most so-called broken of individuals? The baby that has the most severe disabilities or so-called defects, do they also not only bear his image, but do they bear his beauty as well? Furthermore, we know that God has an intended design, whether their life is going to be only two days or if it's going to be 20 years or even close to 100 years. And the other side of that is, from a scientific perspective dealing with data, we do know that even recently, the Centers for Disease Control along with the FDA did actually reflect in a study from the Guttmacher Institute that 35% of diagnoses that there's going to be a disability or even a severe defect, they found were incorrect. And so that means women were intentionally, because of the doctor's counsel, they were aborting babies that often did not have a defect. So I think that we actually need a whole different conversation from a medical perspective. Medical providers are trained to ask, we suggest that if they see anything wrong, they automatically, automatically want to do an amniocentesis and they automatically want to suggest that you abort that child. I believe we need to start challenging the medical schools to change their whole paradigm. We need a whole paradigm shift that sees value in every human being regardless of disabilities and testing procedures. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Um, Janique, when you speak to people of color communities, is there a consensus among people of color Christians that CRT is dangerous to their faith and families? No. And let me tell you why. <laughs> well, I think in general, we have to be very cautious that we do not elevate anything above our identity in Christ. Here's what I mean. I do believe that many people, and to be even more direct, to be very honest, I do believe that if someone is a minority, specifically black, in the United States, they tend to view themselves as a black Christian first rather than a Christian that happens to be, for example, I'm a Christian that happens to be female. He's a Christian that happens to be male. When we put anything in front of Christian, we have made that an idol. And I believe that many in this, again, this country, I believe that many black Americans have made their color, their primary identity, and their Christianity second. We need to flip that around and allow Christianity to be our primary identity. That is everything. Now, the reason why that's critically important then is because if we're looking at it through the lens of Christianity, then we'll have a hopefully a biblical worldview, which will then inform us about many other things. Now, 
many times when I am speaking to an audience where there are some black individuals, because of the way they've been raised, that is what they automatically think. They tend to think first of their color, and that's why we have to reverse that. So as a resource, what I would recommend, how many of you are familiar with Vodi Bauckham? V-O-D-D-I-E, B-A-U-C-H-A-M. He has a tremendous book called Fault Lines, and it deals with critical race theory. He also has several great teachings online, but I would challenge my family members or whoever it is, and they don't have to be black, they can be any color, to look at his resources because one of the things that he does identify is this problem of putting other things before our Christianity. But we have to have that Christianity first as our primary identity. Wow, very well stated. Thank you, thank you. Okay, one last question. <laughs> and I think it's for Janique. Have you ever been attacked for, quote, not truly being black, unquote, or something like that for holding your views? Oh, dear. Hmm. Yes and no. Yes, I would say more so here, definitely in, in the United States versus in Europe. Never experienced that. Here, it's more, because I'm obviously pro-life, Two, because I do hold to a biblical worldview when it comes to sexuality. One of the things that I do find very problematic is when, <laughs> when someone will say, this is like so funny to me, <laughs> when someone will say <laughs> with the LGBTQ issue, they're like, oh, well, you understand. And I'm like, mm, I'm not, I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, well, you know. I'm like, no, I don't know. Like, what do you mean? But they assume that because I'm a minority, that I'm going to automatically agree and further their agenda. And I'm like, no, no, don't assume anything. And so when I do not is when people get sometimes very angry with me. Now, I'm not asking what anyone else believes here. I am also going to share in my family, we are split because some of them vote Democrat and I tend to vote Republican based on what I see according to, if we look at every single one of these moral issues, we do know that certain platforms advocate for certain things. So therefore, the way that I choose to vote, that's why I'm not reflecting anyone else, but myself, then sometimes people will get angry with me because in their mind, they're thinking that based on the color of my skin, I should be voting a certain way. And again, what my response is, we should be voting not according to the elephant or the donkey, but according to the lamb. So what does the Bible say on every single one of these issues? That is awesome. <laughs> oh, wow. That was very good. <laughs> very good. But it also goes back to essentially what you were saying earlier is looking out and making assumptions yeah. uh, uh, without any understanding, yeah. really, yeah. right? Okay. Um, let's see. Actually, there was one more, and now I lost it. Oh, here it is. Is there a role for social stigma to prevent immoral sexual behavior regardless of heterosexual or homosexual? Yeah, 
That one that one's gonna have to like roll around in your brain for a while, isn't it? I don't know. Is there a role for social stigma to prevent immoral sexual behavior regardless of heterosexual or homosexual? Sure. Do you want me to read it again? Yeah. Is there a role for social stigma to prevent immoral sexual behavior regardless of heterosexual or homosexual? I don't fully understand the question except for because it's to prevent, meaning the social stigma you're speaking of must be pure or good. In other words, there's a there's a peer pressure. What, what did we call it the other day? Not a peer, peer pressure, but a... We were at your house. We were, yeah. Oh, Anyways, where it's okay to come alongside and encourage one another into righteousness and goodness. And so if something is immoral, something is destructive in our culture, and we, we, we call that out, that could certainly help curve our, our destructive and wrongful behavior. Again, I'm not 100% for you know, sin management or right, just right behavior, but... I'm okay with choosing right behavior. I sometimes I look at my kids, you know, when they were younger, I'm like, your, your heart may not be with it on why you're choosing right behavior. You're going to choose right behavior nevertheless. So it's not a bad thing to choose right behavior, even if your heart isn't in line with that. But we should be leading people toward our heart and our mind being honoring of what God has for us. And I think, did you call it peer encouragement? Peer encouragement rather I than peer so. pressure is yeah. peer, encouragement. peer encouragement. Let's encourage one another on to, to righteousness and good deeds. Yeah. Okay, guess what? You answered all the questions, y'all. Awesome. Right on time. Wow. Wow. That was amazing. Did you have any closing comments that you want to make? Or you're like, no, Sherry, please. Oh, Jason does. That's wonderful. Just a quick resource. Uh, you probably saw it on the slide, but just to let you know that, that Portland Fellowship, we, uh, Sherry and Kathy Grace and I and some others lead a hope group. So if, if you have a family member or friend who is struggling with unwanted or dealing with homosexuality, maybe mostly embracing it, there is a, uh, a series that we go through and talk with one another. And so you can find out more information through the Portland Fellowship website um, through Sherry as well. Path of Life's website, friends and family group. And if you want to email Jason or I, so it's jason at portlandfellowship.com. And for me, it's jason at portland. <laughs> <laughs> it's Kathy Grace at portlandfellowship.com. So our first names at portlandfellowship.com. And I know some of you did ask, how can you contact me? I actually put my contact information at the top of the notes, and I think at the bottom as well. Yeah. So yeah. just yeah. that you have that right there. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I oh, one last that. thing, and thank you all for coming. Yeah. Because you could have done many other things with your time. Yeah. So thank you for caring about these yes. issues. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ding. Yeah. We love you. Yeah, there you go. Hearts. Oh, <laughs> awesome. Echo that statement. Thank you for Janique for doing that because yes, you could have done anything with your weekend and yet you chose to be here. So thank you for doing that. Would appreciate it if in the back of your workbook you pulled out your evaluation and left it on the table along with your, you know, lanyard and name tag um, on your way out. So if I might pray and then we'll head out. 
Father God, I just ask you to be with each and every person as they leave today. Father, I just pray that these seeds that have been planted today would go forth and bear much fruit. Father God, for your glory, for your honor. Thank you for the time of everyone who attended and each speaker who has spent time in preparation and time here and has been so gracious to engage with everyone. Lord, we love you. And Father, I just pray that all we would do would be to your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So email Jason for the interpretive dance steps. <laughs> <laughs>